0: All right, this morning, we're going to be looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 12 through 18. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes 1, 12 through 18. <clears throat> Starting in verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under, the, under heaven. It is a grievous task which God has given to the sons of men to be afflicted with. I have seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be straightened, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said to myself, Behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realize that this also is striving after wind, because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain says the the Word of God. Well, this morning we're going to begin to look at a pursuit given by Solomon here, which is one of his many pursuits that that he uh, went after during his life, and this is the pursuit of wisdom. And that's largely what we're going to be looking at this morning. Uh, As a quick recap, uh, when we covered verses 1 through 11... We notice that in those verses, Solomon gives us the the premise to his discourse in verse 2 and 3, which is, all things are vanity, and what advantage does man have in all of his work under the sun? That's his premise. That's what he seeks to find out in the book of Ecclesiastes. Second, he gives a proof for this premise, and the the proof he uses is to compare the earth with man, the workings of the earth with man. The working of man and he, he makes the comparison between what is permanent and what is impermanent and he talks about the earth how the earth is just continually doing what God had created it to do it the the, the streams flow into the to the waters and uh, the earth continues as it does each and every day but generations of men come and they go And finally, he speaks of the problem that we have, which is that we, as humanity, always fail to learn that life is brief and that life is fleeting, that we are really here today and gone tomorrow. Thus, chasing after the things on this earth is really striving after the wind. If there is no eternal purpose, for what we do then we are striving after wind we're we're not gaining any profit or any advantage and throughout the rest of the book uh, we're going to see some of the things that solomon solomon pursued and one this morning is wisdom now right off the bat you may think to yourself as i did well what's wrong with pursuing wisdom right is there anything wrong with pursuing wisdom isn't wisdom a good thing to pursue And what does Scripture say about wisdom? Well, you have in Proverbs 9.10, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? So it would be strange that the pursuit of wisdom would be a bad thing. You know, it really indicates that wisdom is something good to have. James records in chapter 1, verse 5, If any of you lack wisdom... You should ask God who gives generously, and he will give you wisdom. All throughout scripture, wisdom is seen as a good thing for us to pursue. You have in Deuteronomy 4, 6, we're told by God, See, I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me. And you should do thus in the land where you are entering to possess it. So keep and do them, for that is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the people's who will hear all the statutes and say, "Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people"? So Scripture really recognizes wisdom as a good thing to pursue. And even in Solomon's request to God, as we looked at uh, two weeks ago now, when Solomon asks God for wisdom, God loves that request. He said, "You didn't ask for long life. You didn't ask for riches. You asked for wisdom." and I will give you wisdom, and I will give you these other things as well. See, Solomon wanted to be able to lead the people of God, and he knew that he had to have wisdom. So it can be quite striking that when we look at the first pursuit that Solomon talks about being vanity, we hear that it is wisdom. Why is that? Another interesting thing to consider is the book of Ecclesiastes itself. What type of literature is it? wisdom literature. So the title of the book indicates that the gathering of a, this is a gathering of a group of people coming to learn wisdom by the preacher. So again, it's quite strange when we think that Solomon here at the beginning is pushing back on the pursuit of wisdom. It's like, Yeah, but the book is wisdom. This is a wisdom book. Why the pushback? So the possession and the pursuit of wisdom can hardly be a bad thing, right? Seems good, but it's not as simple as that, and we're going to look at that this morning. Um, Before we get into the actual part of wisdom, again, you have Solomon here kind of restating, again, what he's going to be talking about. Uh, Beginning in verse 12, there is uh, the reiteration of the preacher, and he's identified as as Solomon, it says, "I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem." And we looked at this verse, and we looked at several other verses when we uh, were uh, looking at who the author is. And this is one of the identifying markers that he is Solomon, king of Jerusalem. In verse thirteen, he speaks of his endeavor. He says in verse thirteen that I have set my mind to seek and explore by wisdom concerning all that has been done under heaven. It is a great task which God has given to the sons of man to be afflicted with. So this is the beginning of his journey. And his endeavor is to explore all that mortal life has to offer. And not only that, why is it that everything under the sun is so unfulfilling? Why can't we be filled with the things that God has created? He says this is a grievous task now it's it's true enough that our pursuits can give us joy correct we can have joy in this life from the things we do and the things we pursue but we often recognize that it's temporal joy the very things that can cause us so much joy can also cause us so much pain and heartache and frustration perplexion we know that by experience, there is no soothing of the soul from the things of this earth. Our souls cannot be soothed by the work that we do. So th- think back to what Solomon has already said about men being like an ear that cannot hear enough. You know, things keep going into the ear, but the ear cannot be filled. Or, or the eye, the eye was made to see And as the eye sees these things, it just needs more and more. It's like you can't take it all in. So, too, is the human heart with the things of this world. Also note here that this isn't a casual investigation. This isn't something that Solomon is going to do half-heartedly, this investigation. As king, Solomon was afforded every opportunity to make this examination on life. To truly take the time the energy to pursue these things and to learn the meaning of life he had everything afforded to him what Solomon quickly realizes that uh, at the beginning of his journey is that it's going to be a humbling experience it often comes as quite a shock to us when we realize how very little we know about the world about ourselves And also, how unlike God, we are incredibly feeble and frail people. We are limited people. Our bodies are limited. Our minds are limited. Even the greatest man here, Solomon, was deeply wearied by this inquiry. And unlike it is with Christ, the pursuit of the things of this world cannot give you rest whereas Christ can give you rest. So these things really wearied Solomon. It it was a sorrowful time for Solomon as he pursued all these things, and he tried to find fulfillment in them. And he he continues to learn over and over and over again, like we do, that the things that we pursue, once we get there, where we think we need to be, it's like, that, that didn't feel nearly as good as I thought it would be. Also notice that uh solomon says that he sought all these pleasures by wisdom so it's not that he has acted ignorantly and even at times it's not that he has acted like a non-christian but still he realizes these things are so fleeting to him and he recognizes that this isn't just uh, uh pertaining to him, but it's pertaining to all of humanity. All of humanity deals with these things. It wasn't that Solomon failed in his pursuits. By all accounts, he was very successful, and we know that from Scripture, that many things that he laid his hands to were successful endeavors. Yet the task of pursuing all these things in life were grievous, We're tiring. We're wearisome. It's interesting, he notes that he says, God made it such. God made these things wearisome. I think what he means by that is the things that we pursue, the things that we chase, when we find them unfulfilling, which we will if we're pursuing them for the wrong intentions, really meant not to fulfill us, but to make us realize that we can't be fulfilled by them. It's a continual pointing to the one who can truly fulfill us. Yet what men typically do, instead of taking the hint, instead of realizing that, hey, this, this isn't doing it for me, there must be something greater, and not greater as in another pursuit, but greater in life, men typically find another pursuit. They find another another great thing. They find another high, if you will, another big monumental moment in life saying, nope, this didn't do it, but this will. It will be this promotion that fulfills me. Not this last one, but this one. This is my target. And what man continues to realize once we get there, it does not fulfill us. And again, like I said, Solomon really points out that it is God that has afflicted man with this. Again, we're reminded of Adam, the first Adam, the uh, first federal head. Adam was upright. He was sinless. He was not subjected to toil. Again, I've used the phrase uh, thorns and thistles and briars in our lives. I use that intentionally because That was part of the curse. Adam did not have those things in the garden. He had no friction. He had no perplexion or frustration in the garden. But we do. By the fall, we have those things in our lives and he had them after the fall. It was because of his rebellion against God, his punishment was to work in a very frustrating world. This is what Adam earned by his sin. The Puritan Matthew Poole said of this, This difficult and toilsome work of searching out these things hath God given to the sons of man. God has inflicted this as a just punishment upon man for his eating of the tree of knowledge, that instead of that sweet and perfect knowledge which God has freely infused into man, at his first creation, we should now grope after some small parcels or fragments of it, and those too not to be gotten without the sweat of his brow and brains. So He's saying what God had for man was the sweet and perfect knowledge of God and of man, but by the fall, now we only have fragments of, those, of that knowledge And even those fragments we must sweat and labor for and work for and that ultimately is why the things of this world weary us the things that we do the things that we pursue that's why they weary us the fall was truly a mighty and horrific fall and I I don't think we we grasp how deep how, wide, how vast the fall was, that Adam had everything he could have ever wanted, and he chose rebellion. We were not created to be this way. Therefore, the things that we pursue on earth can never fulfill us because they were never meant to. Looking at verse 14, Solomon says, I've seen all the works which have been done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. Whatever it is that we do in life, whatever it is that we pursue cannot fulfill us, because as I said, it was never designed to fulfill us. And second, God has made it so that nothing that we pursue can fulfill us unless it's him. The only thing that we can pursue while we are on earth that can truly fulfill us is Christ. J. Adams' remarks of this, God has so arranged life in a sinful, cursed world that it disappoints those who seek satisfaction in anything but Him. And he goes on to say that the very frustration, which he calls vexation of spirit, or here in the NASB, the striving after wind, is the result of God's merciful grace intended to shift a person's preoccupation or or mind with himself and his works. Instead, the hope is that he may find what he seeks in God and his works. So really, when you think about it, it, it's sort of two sides to the same coin or it's it's a, a dual intended purpose. Our work here is wearisome. And that is the result of the fall. It's the result of just punishment against Adam and all that are in him. But it is also a kindness to those, especially who are the elect from the foundation of the earth, because these frustrations in life, these perplexions, and the, the things that we wrestle with, the things that weary us, point us to the one who can give us rest. So even in God's curse, there is often blessing because it continues to point us to the one who can do this for us. He continually drives us to himself. And that's, that's why I love uh, Augustine's phrase, and that's why I kind of used it uh, at the beginning uh, to kind of to summarize what we're going to be talking about, is that the heart of man is restless until it rests in God and that's the whole point of Ecclesiastes it's the, it's a continual reminder that we must rest in God continuing on in verse 15 Solomon says what is crooked cannot be straightened and what is lacking cannot be counted now this is an interesting phrase used by Solomon and we get these throughout the book uh, we, and it's it's good to pause and reflect on what he's really saying. And I think what he means in general is the things yeah, is the difference between things as they are and things how we often want them to be. There are many things in this world that are crooked, that are not right, or not the way that we would have them be. Yet we know that we often desire to fix those things by our own labor the things that are wrong we always like okay this is what we need to work on this is what we need to fix and what we tend to realize is that there are so many things that we cannot fix that we cannot straighten what God has made crooked this really is the the wisdom of the the worldly man That he can sense his ailments, he can sense that things are wrong, but he cannot find the cure of them. Why is it that he can't find the cure? Because it has to be supernaturally revealed. The Lord must reveal it to him. But even those who have been born again, we must deal with life, with the things that, that are crooked in our lives, that God remains... Or that God leaves unchanged. We must deal with our own crooked sticks, our own crooked lots in life. And this is really what Solomon comes to the conclusion of later in the book. He says that, I know that everything God does will remain forever. There is nothing to add to it, and there is nothing to take from it. For God has so worked that men should fear him. Saying, God worked these things in life so that we would fear him. We would continually be pointed back to him. And the phrase here, you, that we will fear him, again, where does, uh, what is the beginning of wisdom? The fear of the Lord. So it's always pointing back. All the crooked lots that we have, always pointing back to Christ. Thus, it, it, it really is quite vanity or striving after win to make what God has made crooked straight it would be better for us to learn contentment than to wrestle with God's providence which we cannot win against God uh, in verses 15 and 16 we see that Solomon really focuses in on this first pursuit wisdom so he's he set the stage here on what what he's talking about and and why these things are the way that they are And now we're going to look strictly at wisdom. In verse uh, 15, I'm sorry, 16, I said 15 and 16, 16. I said to myself, behold, I have magnified and increased wisdom more than all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my mind has observed a wealth of wisdom and knowledge. And in verse 17, he says, I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I realize that this also is striving after wind. And go ahead and in verse 18. Because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. So he's, he's now being introspective. He's now looking as the most wise king, Over his life over his pursuit of wisdom wisdom is given by God as a gift to men wisdom is a good thing yet the wisest of men Solomon is wearied by the pursuit of it so it is a gift and it is wearisome to pursue so is it that wisdom in and of itself is is vanity No. If what you mean by that is wisdom given by God and sought after to glorify God. As we've already seen, the testimony of Scripture is that wisdom is a good thing for us to pursue. However, it's the pursuit of wisdom for the sake of becoming wise for yourself or to be made much of. That pursuit is vanity. Listen to what Solomon says later on in Ecclesiastes, and there's a a few of these. Uh, First in uh, chapter 7, 11, and 12, he says, Wisdom along with an inheritance is good and an advantage to those who see the sun. For wisdom is protection just as money is protection, but the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the lives of its possessors. So you have there... Solomon saying wisdom is a good thing, and he also says money is a good protector. Wisdom is a good protector, and we always hear that money in and of itself is, is wicked. That is not true. The love of money, the pursuit of money uh, for, to meet one's own end, to, to fulfill the desires of one's own heart is sinful, is vanity, but there is a purpose and a place for money, as is wisdom. Uh, He continues on in chapter 7, verse 19. He says, Wisdom strengthens a wise man more than ten rulers who are in a city. Well, that's pretty strong. That's the point he's He's making. Wisdom is a good thing. It can make one wise. It can make one strong. It can make one equipped to live in this life, to worship God. Wisdom is a good thing. However, just like every pursuit that we have, when it becomes idolatrous... When we pursue wisdom as an idol, we become ruined by it. Every pursuit that we have in this life, once it becomes idolatrous, will destroy you. Charles Bridges rightly says of this, he says, far be it from us to deny the highly valuable pleasures of wisdom and knowledge, but if we attempt their pursuit, as Solomon seems to have done, by making an idol of our gifts, putting God out of his supremacy, we can only expect to add our testimony to their disappointment. The more we know, the more we shall be discomposed by the consciousness of ignorance. So he's saying once, once we make these things idolatrous, they will add to our sorrow. They will not benefit us. And I, I think of First Corinthians 12 when... Paul's talking about all the gifts that God has given by the Spirit, and he has to remind them that these, are, these gifts are all from the same source. They're from the Spirit of God. The Corinthians wanted to make divisions of their gifts. You know, I have the gift of, of this, and I have the gift of that. That's so much better than this. And Solomon, and uh, Paul's pointing out, no, it's all from the same Spirit. Well, What, is ha- what had happened to the men of Corinth is that their gifts became idolatrous. They wanted to be made much of because of what God has given them, and that is a wicked, wicked thing. But every culture, to some extent, places a high value on wisdom. The impartation of of knowledge from one generation to another is prized. When parents teach their children, even in uh, cultures that aren't Christian, that's seen as a, a good thing. It is really the pursuit of wisdom that has created so many different philosophies that, that we have to, to deal with uh, that uh, aren't Christian. Philosophy simply means the love of, of wisdom, the chasing, the, the finding out of wisdom. Yet the difference is this some seek out wisdom to know what is beautiful, good, and true about God's creation and about God Himself. That is a good pursuit. They, they seek out wisdom so that they may know how to apply the knowledge that God has given man. And that is what wisdom is, the application of, of knowledge given by God. That is the, the right pursuit of wisdom and philosophy. But the wrong use of wisdom and philosophy occurs apart from God. And we've seen this over and over throughout history, these Philosophies that have been created in order to deny the one who made wisdom possible. Over and over again, men will create their own wisdom and seek after it. So really, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the abandonment of the Lord is the beginning of foolishness. You cannot be wise if you abandon God. If, if God, if the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, the abandonment of God is the foolishness of men. That's when you become foolish, and that is the testimony of Scripture. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they worshiped what was created rather than the Creator. Looking at uh, verse 17, Solomon says, And I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, now this one did perplex me as I was studying this. Like, why, why do you mention madness and folly here? What does he mean by madness and folly? Why did he set his mind? Says, I set my mind to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. Well, one commentator said of the word madness that it refers to something that shines. So you think like a, something that's shiny, see something that's that's shiny. And the idea is that. It's something that shines with a false gleam. It's like a fake or or a sham. I'm sure you've heard the phrase, all that glitters is not gold. Well, that's the idea being described here by Solomon. The things of this world, particularly what he's talking about, wisdom, cannot fulfill a person because it's artificial. Wisdom apart from the triune God simply does not exist. Now, does that mean that the godless cannot be wise or cannot know what to do in a situation to some extent Well, again it depends it is true that man in his natural state can at some points have right knowledge and do what is right in any situation right thankfully by God's grace by his his goodness he has restrained the heart of man so man does have some knowledge of of what is good and some recognition that he should do good that much is true But if we take passages like, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, seriously, it's hard to say that a person who does not fear the Lord is a wise man. Indeed, he cannot be. If we take that passage seriously, that the the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, there is no wise man who does not fear the Lord. What you have here by Solomon is really a condemnation passage of the godless life and the pursuits of fool's gold that is wisdom. A man may appear wise on the outside, but within there is a hollowness if he is not filled by the Spirit of God. It is like a fool's gold. It looks like it's gold, but upon closer examination, it is not gold. The pursuit of wisdom, according to Solomon, is that apart from Christ, it is striving after wind. It is vanity. It, is, it has no benefit to man. Looking at verse 18, he says, Because in much wisdom there is much grief, and increasing knowledge results in increasing pain. Why is there pain and grief in wisdom? Well, we kind of looked at that a little bit, but... First, gaining wisdom is a hard labor. Wisdom isn't simply knowing what to do, but really to be conformed to the image of God. That is what wisdom is. It's, it's being able to, to know what you should do and to act as Christ would act. It's wisdom. It is to act as you ought to act. But what do we know about ourselves? We don't act like we ought to act. Therefore, pursuing wisdom, learning wisdom, is a very difficult task. It is a hard lesson because we rebel so much. We often know exactly what we should do, and we do the opposite. Well, why? Because we rebel. Our hearts are factories of idols. As soon as one idol is snuffed out, what will the heart do? Create another one. Another and another, it is a factory of idols. You're not just one idol. And it's not that if you dethrone that idol, you'll have it down pat. No, you will place another idol there. We know that that is the heart of man. Well, second, it is a hard labor because there is much in this world that claims to be wisdom. This one is especially difficult. Wisdom has one source. Wisdom comes from God. Wisdom is a gift from God. Does wisdom exist outside of God? No. But people pursue the things of God without pursuing God himself. We do this time and time again. Men would have the gifts of God and not him. Men would say, give me the gift and you go away. That is the heart of man. Therefore, because of this, wisdom is often distorted to be a caricature of what it was intended to be because it is not looking at the fount of wisdom. If you're not looking at the source of wisdom, it is a caricature. The pursuit of wisdom from a worldly mindset really is empty and vain. Laying up in, uh, treasures in the mind, if not done to honor the king, will be a wearying task and a vain pursuit so looking at some application to this and to summarize wisdom is a good pursuit wisdom is a good thing we are called to be wise people we learn wisdom from God from reading his word Solomon was a wise man wisdom again is a gift from God but an unchecked pursuit of wisdom if not done for the glory of God our increase in sanctification is wickedness. It's striving after wind, it's vain. There is no end game to it other than pain and sorrow. Second, we must be wise, we must be wise so that we can live godly, obedient lives that are born out of gratitude, not for salvation, but from salvation. When it comes down to it from a biblical perspective, which is the only perspective, what is the end of wisdom? The glory of God. Why should we pursue wisdom? The glory of God. We read scripture so that we can commune with God and learn from him what we are to think and how we are to act in what he has created. The pursuit of wisdom can never be divorced from the fact that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom there is no pursuit of wisdom apart from god if you are to be wise you must fear the lord and by fear to be reverent to understand that you are his creation and he is your creator and to understand his providence and not to war against his providence but to be content in his providence you must know him third you need to become wise so that you can discern what is unwise. Now, I was thinking about this uh, yesterday. Um, what, what would be a good example of this? And I, I thought of Pilgrim's Progress. I love that book. And I think of the man in that book named Worldly Wise Man. He's Worldly Wise Man. And as you read through that, Worldly Wise Man offers Christian... Counsel concerning the grief that has come from the bearing of his burden, which was his sin Before meeting worldly wise men Christian was walking on the path and was walking on the right path to the celestial city pointed out by evangelist It was a hard road for Christian to walk a very hard road It was a wearying road for Christian but when he is approached by a worldly wise man Worldly wise man says, will you listen to me if I give good counsel? To which Christian Christian responds, if it be good I will, for I stand in need of good counsel. The conversation continues in which worldly wise man inquires about how Christian came to the realization that he had a burden upon his back. It was discovered that Christian knew of his burden by the reading of scripture and was instructed by evangelists to follow this road to the celestial city. So Christian was doing what Christian was supposed to do. He was pointed out by evangelists what he was supposed to do. He was supposed to be on this road heading toward one goal, not to take his eyes off the celestial city. But worldly wise man responds, But why will you seek for ease this way, seeing so many dangers attendant, Especially since... Since you have had patience to hear me, I could direct you to the obtaining of what you desire without the dangers that you, in this way, will run into. Yes, and the remedy is at hand, besides, I will, respond, I will add that instead of those dangers, you shall meet much safety, friendship, and content. So you have evangelists telling Christian what he ought to do. And then as Christian's walking this road, he meets Worldly Wise Man. Worldly Wise Man says, hey, why are you walking this difficult road? There's an easier road that you can walk. And it won't, it won't have hardship. You'll make friends. You'll have safety. And you'll be content in this. So what is, what is worldly, how does worldly, or a Christian respond? He says, sir, I pray, open this secret to me. And then what happens? Christian alters his path from the celestial city to the hill of legality. Is there safety, friendship, or content in the hill of legality? No. There's nothing but pain, more burden, and suffering. Yeah, but the worldly wise man said so. The worldly wise man said, if you take this road, it will be much better for you. We must be wise to know what is unwise. The council of worldly wise man here was unwise, and I just Bunyan named him so so well. Worldly wise man, his wisdom. He was a a wise man, born of the world. Worldly wise man. We must know what is true, so that we can discern what is false. Else, like Christian. In Pilgrim's Progress, we will be led out of the way apart from the celestial city. We must be able to answer our worldly wise men when they try to give us counsel and check it against Scripture. Solomon, like Christian, went astray very, very many times. He pursued wisdom as a worldly wise man, and he was bankrupt for it. And he realized that at the end of his life, again I said I think this book was written near the end of his life and as he, it reads as a man who has come to, to this, this place uh, maybe near the end of his life or to a much more sanctified place and he, he stops and he looks back and he thinks, why did I pursue that thing? Why did I think this way? At times in his life, as in ours, he acted as Christian who turned from the celestial city to the hill of legality because he listened to worldly wise men. The world has nothing for you as it pertains to wisdom. If you seek to be wise, open up your Bibles. Pray for wisdom. Seek it not for your own pleasures but to be godly to be God-glorifying and honoring. Chasing wisdom for the sake of being seen as wise is vanity. It is chasing after wind. It is a hard road, one that Solomon has learned. But pursuing uh, wisdom for the sake of godliness has much gain, and you ought to do it. Any questions or concerns? He never went to college, but he was a Christian. So I kind of saluted him that he didn't in <laughs> the things. Amen. Anything else? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, loving us enough to uh, sanctify us by leaving cr- crooked sticks in our lives. We pray that we would learn contentment. We pray that through the things uh, that you've given us, through your providence, we would learn to be wise for the sake of glorifying you and honoring you, for the sake of our brothers and sisters. Uh, Help us, again, to love one another, to cherish one another, and to bear with one another. Uh, We pray that you would help us to seek to be wise. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.